Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Today, Season 3, Episode 14, The Great Peace of Montreal. In 1701, representatives of one European and 39 different indigenous Iroquois nations met in Montreal to hammer out one of the most important peace treaties in the history of North America, a treaty that would come to shape indigenous French relations for the next half a century, a moment that became one of the most unique in all of Canadian history. Today's book recommendation is Gilles Havard's The Great Peace of Montreal, published in 2001 by McGill Queen's Press. This is the definitive text on this momentous occasion and is an easy read and extremely well-researched and well-written. Check it out. So one of the main groups that are involved in this great peace are a group known as the Iroquois. So let's begin by answering the most important question. Who are the Iroquois? Well, the answer is the Iroquois are many different people. You see, Iroquois is a language group. Much like Latin is a term used to describe the language group that makes up French, Italian, and Spanish, as well as many others, Meaning, when people refer to the Iroquois in North America, they actually are referring to a wide array of peoples, nations, clans, territories, political entities, and even localized language subsets. To say the Iroquois attacked the French would be like saying the Latins invaded the East. It's a fairly broad, sweeping statement that doesn't exactly tell us much. The Iroquois that we talk about in a North American context often is a reference to the specific nations of regions around the Great Lakes and in the northeastern United States. This includes many different nations, including most famously the Mohawk, but also the Wendat, Onondaga, Seneca, Cayuga, and many more. Not all Iroquois groups are enemies of the French, just like not all Iroquois groups are friends with each other. So now that we have that out of the way, let's set the stage for 1701. Since almost the first day that the French arrived in the part of the New World that made up the St. Lawrence River, they had been at war with the Iroquois-speaking peoples. In 1609, Champlain famously joined an indigenous war party that met and defeated an Iroquois war party. 
For decades, the French and their indigenous allies, including the Iroquois-speaking Wendat people, fought an alliance of Iroquois nations, famously known as the Five Nations, for political and economic control over what would become New France. By the late 1650s and early 1660s, the French even seemed on the brink of collapse due to repeated Five-Nation Iroquois attacks, mostly led by the most ferocious of the Iroquois Five Nations, the Mohawk. However, A renewed focus by the French crown on defending and improving New France changed the course of this continual conflict, and over the last half of the 17th century, the French began to finally inflict defeats against various Iroquois groups. Now, most of the Iroquois groups that were part of the Five Nation Alliance that continually fought against the French made natural allies with the British. And thus, any time a European war spilled over into North America, the British, who would now be at war with the French, would rely on their Iroquois allies to carry out attacks against the colony of New France. However, by the 1690s, disease and warfare had taken its toll on the once mighty Five Nations. When the Nine Years' War concluded in 1697, the British and French once again found themselves at peace but many of the Iroquois groups allied to the British sought to continue the fight and found themselves now the focus of an armed and angry New France military that did not need to worry about the British joining in to save their Iroquois allies. In the final years of the 17th century, many of the powerful Iroquois groups of what was now an alliance of six key Iroquois nations were seriously weakened due to attacks by a united Franco-Indigenous alliance. By 1700, many of the most prominent Iroquois elders began to call for a permanent peace. When the governor of Montreal, Louis-Hector de Carrier, heard this, He sent out a mass invitation to all the Iroquois chiefs of the Great Lakes and Hudson River area to come to Montreal to make this peace a reality. So who was responsible for bringing the Iroquois chiefs to Montreal in 1701? Well, amongst the Iroquois groups, there were several that we can call pro-French. That is, groups that saw peace with the French as a way to gain benefits from this growing North American power. There were others, though, who felt that peace with the French would betray what was known as the Covenant Chain. This was the name for a series of long-standing alliances between the British and various Iroquois groups. Still, there were other chiefs arguing for straight-up neutrality, that the Iroquois stood to gain only by playing both sides off of each other. Just to give you a sense of the complexities of these inner Iroquois negotiations, leading all three different factions were prominent Onondaga chiefs. This meant that within the Onondaga nation itself, many different chiefs were advocating for many different political positions. The final major question in peace negotiations was with the First Nations of the West, known as the Pays d'Ot, as the French would call it. The West really just referred to what is now modern-day southern Ontario. But at that time, a number of First Nation groups like the Abenaki, the Ottawa, the Montagne, Peton, and even some Iroquois-speaking groups were allied to the French. They occupied the region and were engaged in an ongoing war with a variety of other Iroquois nations. Many Iroquois chiefs were unsure what peace with the French would mean, 
for their hostilities with the nations of the West. Just a reminder, take a little break and let you know that you can find us on all of your podcast listening devices, as well as on Facebook, SoundCloud, Instagram, and of course at our homepage, CoolCanadianHistory.com. If you go to our Facebook page or our website, you will see links to PayPal and Patreon. Both of these links provide safe and secure ways to donate to the podcast. We survive solely on your donations, and every dollar donated is extremely helpful in allowing us to continue to bring you this history program, so we thank each and every one of you that has donated to this podcast, and we hope more of you will continue to do so. Now on with the show. For almost an entire year, the various chiefs of the Iroquois debated, discussed, and at times almost came to blows over whether or not to go and see Carrier at Montreal. Different Iroquois factions remained in contact with Gallier through the course of 1700, relaying messages back and forth. The catalyst for so many Iroquois chiefs to finally agree to go to Montreal was when the nations of the West made a separate peace with them at Gallier's urging, of course. Thus, by early 1701, the Great Lakes region enjoyed an absolutely unprecedented period of peace. By the summer of that year, representatives of 39 different indigenous nations descended onto Montreal to hammer out one of the greatest European indigenous documents in the history of the world. Another 38 nations were also present as witnesses to this historic document. Thousands of native chiefs, warriors, traders, wives, daughters, sons, all made Montreal that summer one of the most diverse places on the entire earth. The only European nation represented at all the proceedings and in the region was, of course, France. Now, everything about the proceedings was defined by protocol, pageantry, hierarchy, and rank. From gift-giving, to speeches, to trade, to marriage alliances, everything was governed by a complicated and at times almost unfathomable code of behavior. It is a wonder that any document could actually be forged and signed in this environment, but signed it was. On 4th of August, the peace treaty was ratified. Carrier gave the first speech after the treaty was signed, saying, It is with extreme joy that I see all my children assembled here now, having one and all placed your interests in my hands, that I can have you all live in tranquility. I therefore today ratify the peace agreement that we have made. A chief of the Sault Ste. Louis Iroquois responded, Anuntio, the indigenous name for Cahier, Our father, you no doubt feel joy in seeing all your children gathered here on your mat today. You must believe that since we have the fortune to be here in such numbers, we share it with you. The swiftness with which so many different nations have left from the far reaches of this vast country, the courage and perseverance that they have shown in overcoming distance, fatigue, and the dangers of travel in order to come hear your voice, shows well their disposition to obey it faithfully. All your views are so just and so reasonable that one would have to not be a man to refuse to submit to them. 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So what were the views? Well, the peace treaty was pretty simple. It was intended to forge a lasting peace between the French, their allies in the West, and the Iroquois nations present at the peace signing. Peace also meant trade, and the French and their former enemy were now able to begin trading with one another without fear of interference from other groups in the region. Shortly after the treaty was signed, wampum belts were exchanged, ceremonial pipes were smoked, songs were sung, dances were danced, and then the great multitudes representing almost 80 different nations returned home. No gathering such as this with so much politically and economically on the line, would ever occur again in North American history. But it's important to ask, did the peace work? Did it last? Between the natives of the West and the Iroquois, the peace proved to barely last. Within months, various Western nations were once again engaged in sporadic fighting with Iroquois groups. And by the time a new generation of warriors had reached manhood, the great peace was merely legend known mostly for its historical gathering of so many famous chiefs from across the land. In terms of Franco-Iroquois relations, the peace lasted fairly well. While the French and the British would go to war again several times, the majority, though certainly not all, of the Iroquois groups, especially within the Six Nations, chose to remain neutral in future Anglo-French conflicts. This removed a serious threat for the French when fighting against the British, while also reducing the number of warriors the British could call upon. Thus, the Great Peace of Montreal signaled the end of nearly a century of French-Iroquois hostilities, and was one of the first major attempts in North America to create an all-encompassing, broadly-based, long-lasting peace. Truly, one of the great documents and moments in pre-Confederation Canadian history. A reminder, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on SoundCloud, and you can find us at our website, www.coolcanadianhistory.com, and of course you can find me on Twitter, at DocBoris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. I want to thank you for listening. For Cool Canadian History, I'm David Boris. Take care.